first reading is taken from St. Peter's letter, the first letter, chapter, 13, uh, chapter 3, verse 13 to 18, which may be found on the screen here or in the church Bible at uh, page 1219, 1219. 1 Peter 3, reading from verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ, who suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, he was put to dead, death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Verses 29 through to 41, and that's on page 1094. <clears throat> Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of this, of this fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel to be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With, other, <clears throat> with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
is, is worth value. Morning, everyone. Uh, I'd be really encouraged if you would keep that passage open in 1 Peter, if you could turn back to that. That'd be great. Let's pray as we begin. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitude of the heart. Heavenly Father, pray that you would shape us and change us this morning and fill us with a deep confidence in you. I pray that for what I say and for what is heard through it, the Lord Jesus might be honoured. If we ask that in his name. Amen. Well, I want you to imagine the scenario. There is a deadly infectious disease and you've discovered the cure to this deadly infectious disease that's plaguing the planet. An infectious disease like no other that's ever been seen. Spokesperson from the World Health Organization was on the 10 o'clock news last night in this scenario. It's a terrible virus on an unprecedented scale and the outcome will be catastrophic. That's the world. Outbreaks are being reported everywhere from Bangladesh to Bosnia, from Belarus all the way back to Britain. And as you look out the window, you see people dying all around you in this scenario. And you've devised this vaccine and you've become infected by this disease, and you've administered the vaccine on yourself, and it's worked. You're now better. And you have this formula, you have this vaccine with you. There's a cure for this disease. What would you do? You've got vials and vials of this medication. You've got this formula prepared and ready to go out, and it's mass producible. What would you do? Wouldn't it be cruel to keep that formula to yourself. If you just had those vials of medication and you kept them locked away, wouldn't that be just an unkind thing to do? Do you know, the Bible says that there is an infectious disease in the world on an unprecedented scale. Every single heart has got it in. The Bible calls that sin. Everyone on the planet is affected and infected by sin, and yet most people fail to recognize it. But there is good news in the church. Amen? Amen. It's amazing, isn't it? There is hope in this world. The blood of the Lord Jesus Christ is the cure that we all need to be washed in. Have a look with me at 1 Peter 3 and verse 18. It says, For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Now, we could reword this to help us in our scenario that we were thinking about. Christ died for the infectious disease once for all. The clean Jesus for the infected world to bring us to God. Now, if he's the vaccination, then the question becomes to us, why wouldn't we share him? Why wouldn't we tell people uh, about him? Now, I'm going to use a dirty word probably one of the dirtiest words to use in the church, and it's evangelism. And I know that straight away, people, as they hear that word, for some of you, you may recoil when you hear that word. Perhaps there's negative images that come to your mind 
and difficult past experiences. Whenever you hear that word evangelism, maybe you think of a difficult time that you've had. Maybe a street preacher approached you and was really unkind to you. Maybe you've seen some of those kind of people on TV that hold up those placades that say some horrible things like turn or burn or God hates dot, 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 fill in the blank. Maybe you've been approached by someone on the street who's got in your face in an unloving way and, and said some things to you that have made you question. Maybe when you hear the word evangelism, the wall comes up, the shutters go down, and you think, do you know what, that's not for me. That's what the clergy are paid to do. It's their job. It's not mine. Well, can I say, that's not right either. We all come with vastly different experiences and people that we can reach out to you. And that's amazing that God can use each one of us individually and uniquely to the people that God's put in our life. And so my aim this morning is not to turn everyone here into Billy Grahams, okay? You don't all need to to fear that. Simply, what I want to do this morning is raise our confidence in God's big story and in our stories and how that fits into God's big story. One of our deep convictions held here at St. Jude's is that God speaks through his words, that God speaks to his people through his word, and his word changes people's lives. The word of God changes what it touches. It produces beauty and fruit and lasting joy, and it alters our stories. So how do we raise our confidence in God's stories? Well, look with me at uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Right at the core of the Christian faith is this. You know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, what's the first petition that we make in the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The heart of Jesus, his first priority, is the name of his Father. And that becomes our first priority as Jesus followers too. It's part of being a Christian. We become for what Jesus is for. That word hallow is the same word that Peter uses here. And it's translated here as set apart, sanctify, or make holy. So we're to hallow Christ as Lord in our hearts. We're to set him apart. Why? Because he's God with us. And get this, right? We hallow the Father as we hallow the Son. Because the Father sent the Son. Isn't that incredible? In Jesus' time, the heart was thought of more than just an organ that pumped blood around the body. They thought it was the center of one's being, the core of a person. So what does it mean then to set apart Christ as Lord, to hallow him in the heart? It means that we regard him as holy at the core of our being. He's the holiest one in the universe. He's unique. He's one of a kind. He has unrivaled power and authority. He's perfect in purity and goodness. And we put him in the highest place in our lives. We put him at the center of all that we do, think, and say. He becomes our supreme treasure. He's the one I set my affections towards. I turn my heart on. I love him and honor him above all other things. And especially, verse 15, Jesus' lordship. I stand in awe of Jesus as Lord, the master of of the universe, and I humble myself under his words. And as we stand in awe of Jesus, we're setting apart Jesus Christ as Lord in our hearts. 
Well, I've got two points for us this morning. My first point is this. We do this by being prepared. And secondly, we do this by being ourselves. Verse 15 in 1 Peter 3 is a command. Have a look at it with me. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Now, if someone asked me, uh, Adam, um, why do you hope in Christ for forgiveness and for help and for lasting joy? I could say something like, well, I don't really know. Um, I just kind of grew up that way. Or you could say something like, well, I've kind of weighed the options and I kind of thought Christianity would be a good option. Um, Or you could say everyone believes in stuff, a little bit like pick and mix. I picked Christianity. You could say that. But I think if we answer like that, that's not setting apart Christ as Lord. That's not having him at the center of all that we do. And if we don't know why Jesus Christ is the reason for our hope, well, then he's not going to be honored in the answer that we might give when someone asks. Now, you don't have to be a scholar to give the reason for your hope. Most of the people in Peter's time couldn't even read. But they had the hope of the kingdom. Why? Because they knew the king of the kingdom. They knew that Jesus had come, that he died, that he died for them, for their sins, and that he was raised again to life to bring them back to God. The Lord Jesus himself became their source of hope. That word hope uh, in our text here carries a very different meaning to the way that you and I use hope today. So we say things like, I hope Portsmouth are going to beat Bristol Rovers on Tuesday night. Or I hope it's not going to rain tomorrow. And there's a level of uncertainty to our hope. But Bible words have Bible meaning. And the word hope in the Bible is meant to give us cast iron, 100% assurance It's not a flippant word, it's going to happen. Now, if I um, got this microphone and switched it on and brought it down and put it before you and asked you this question, how would you answer this? Why is Jesus your hope? Would you be able to answer that? Why is your confidence in Jesus? Now, I'm not going to do that to any of you. That'd be really mean. I'm not going to do that. But are you ready? Are you prepared? Now, can I say that you don't need a book to discover the answer to the reason for the hope that you have. But if you don't have one, don't pass go, don't collect 200 pounds. Can I encourage you to close the door behind you when you get home and get on your knees and seek God for the reason for the hope that you have. Why do you believe? What's your reason? And this is fundamental to you telling your story. Now your answer might be to do with the reliability of the witnesses who wrote the New Testament. That's brilliant. Maybe for you it might be that Jesus has given you purpose and meaning and dignity to your life. Uh, maybe it's, it's kind of you've seen the power of the gospel at work as someone who you thought God could never touch has been transformed by his gospel. Well, whatever the answer is, that's part of your answer for the reason for the hope that you have. And as you seek God for the reason for the hope that you have, Christ will be honored as you do that. That's time really well spent with Jesus. For me, when I was 22 years old, um, my wife Mel, uh, um, her stepmom, who was also called Mel, we called her Big Mel, she, she, um, she got breast cancer and she was really, really ill. And I remember going over there for the last couple of weeks of her life 
Um, she eventually died, and I knew that life was about Jesus. And I'd heard those kind of cliches that we hear in kind of church in the past, that Jesus died for our sins, but I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea that I was a sinner, and I'd done some pretty rotten things when I was growing up, but I thought I was a pretty decent bloke. I had no idea I was a sinner. And so it never really made sense to me. I never really connected. And I'm faced in the situation where someone I love and care for is dying, and I can't share the Christian faith with that person. And that was hard. And I wasn't prepared in that situation. And I said to myself, never again do I want to be in that position where someone I love and care for is dying, and I can't tell them about the Lord Jesus. So I began a process to get prepared. Um, And as I looked at the Gospels and encountered Jesus, it's like Jesus got up and walked off the pages of history and he walked into my life. And he changed me. He changed my desires and my thoughts. Um, And I came to realize that the Christian faith wasn't just boring and about spoiling your fun, but it's about a relationship with the God who's made you. And do you know what? One of the first Bible verses I ever committed to memory was 1 Peter 3.18. And I love this. It says, for Christ died. There is a historical event that I put my trust in. He died for sins. It actually did something. He died once for all. It's sufficient for us. It's substitutionary, the righteous for the unrighteous. And it's enough. It brings us to God. And that's amazing. Jesus said, Uh, In Matthew 12, verse 34, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's why I'm here today, talking to you about Jesus, because Jesus has changed my heart, my desires. Um, I love him, and I want to tell people about him. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy, be prepared in season and out of season, just like what 1 Peter is telling us here. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. When I used to work in the clinic, we'd use various instruments to do certain procedures. And the instruments that we'd use would go through certain processes. They'd be soaked, they'd be scrubbed, they'd be put through an autoclave, they'd be heated up to 134 degrees before they were taken off the tray and used to help someone out. There was a process of being prepared. How much more so us as tools in the hands of our Redeemer are we to be prepared with the good news of Jesus to tell people? There's a process, there's preparation that we need to do. You see, God's come and he uses his children to take his life-changing words out to the world. People who are lost find their way. People who are paralyzed with discouragement walk in hope and in new hope. Alienated people begin to live in community as relationships are repaired. Confused minds begin to think in ways that are true and right and pure. And the person who wants to live for their own gain, for their own power, finds a new power and a new thing to live for in the Lord Jesus. Well, we're to be prepared, and secondly, we're to be ourselves. How do we do this? Well, look at the end of verse 15. It says, we're to be prepared but we're to do this with gentleness and respect. My dad uh, used to say to me, Adam, you were born original, why die a copy? That's true, isn't it? All of us are unique. God has made you 
uniquely you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And God has put people in your life who are fearfully and wonderfully made for you to speak to. And in this year of mission so far, we've been thinking about be and do, and you guessed it, we're on tell this morning. Um, we can be with our people, we can be ourselves, and we can celebrate them as people made in the image of God. We can ask them questions about their life. Um, we can kind of do things to bless them. We can take an interest in them. Mel and I are slowly getting to know our neighbours. It's taking a while, but it's difficult. We know that one of our neighbours has got a property on the Isle of Wight. I know that because I've spoken to her. And also, every week, she's got the Isle of Wight County Press that goes out into the recycling bin. So that's a conversation that we can talk about, the Isle of Wight. I know that she loves spending time with her daughter and her granddaughter. And Mel and I have looked for ways that we can bless us. We've given her some kids' toys and, and, and a kid's playpen. And we're looking for ways to connect her story with God's big story. Now, we don't need to be weird about this. I mean, you could be weird about this. I could stand on top of her roof and shout at her about the gospel, but that would be a really strange thing to do. Um, I could use vocabulary that only Shakespeare could kind of untangle, but that would be a bit weird too. The Bible says we're to be honest in the way that we speak to people, and I can, I can talk to her about my failings, my shortcomings. I can point her to God's grace in my life. And I can think through how I'd give a reasoned defense of the Christian faith to her particular situation and how that might apply to her. And I'm to do it with gentleness and respect. Why? Why do we do it with gentleness and respect? Because it can be a little bit like handling the word of God can be like a sledgehammer and it can be used wrongly. But we need to be a bit more like the surgeon with a fine scalpel and working it into people's lives. It's powerful and it's effective. Well, how does this all apply to us? Let's get prepared for this year of mission, for the amazing things that God's going to do this year. There's going to be opportunities for us to tell our story. Are we prepared for that? Are we a clean instrument ready to handle the antidote of the Lord Jesus for people? Let's continue to pray for opportunities to, to do and to be and to tell. I know the grammar was completely wrong in that, that, that kind of sentence, but you get what I mean. And can I encourage each one of us here to be prepared with our story? Why not think through your story, think through with no more than 100 words what life was like before you knew Jesus? And now the difference that Jesus in his cross or the reason for your hope has made to your life. And then finally, think about what life's like now. Spend time, think that through, so that you're prepared. Because each one of us has a story, and every person we talk to has a story. And as we think about telling people, we want to show people that they can connect with God's big story like we have. And it's a beautiful thing to do. Now, I've been reading this book uh, that's been really, really helpful, and I can't recommend it enough. It's a book written by Rico Tice, um, and, and the book's called Honest Evangelism. And there's some really helpful, practical tips of how to talk about Jesus even when it's tough. And Rico speaks about this idea of the pain line, that there's a pain line that we need to cross to talk to people about Jesus. He says this, there may not be persecution, in the church or in your life, but we're in a culture of growing hostility to Christianity. Many people don't really like the gospel. Sometimes they express it politely. Sometimes 
uh, not politely at all. They don't like it. This shouldn't surprise us. He says, we believe that Jesus is the only way to know God. We believe the cross is the only way to be forgiven. We believe that one day everyone will be judged. And if you're going to talk to people about Jesus, you're going to get hurt. It's going to sever some relationships. It's going to provoke people, not every time, and depending on our circumstances, our friendship groups, our workplaces, and so on, our experiences will vary. But we will face rejection enough of the time to give us second thoughts. Because I don't know about you, I don't particularly like getting hurt. It's quite an honest book. He goes on to say, and so whenever I tell someone the gospel message and get hit, metaphorically speaking, there's a temptation either to stop saying anything or to change what I'm saying. I know there's a pain line that needs to be crossed if I tell someone the gospel. And I want to stay the comfortable side of the pain line. Of course I do. And I think that's the main reason why we don't do evangelism. Talking to people about Jesus, says Rico, is costly and painful. But we have an antidote. As we look out at the world, we see people dying without Jesus. They need the cure that we know. And do you know what? Jesus promises to be with us by his spirit as we go out with his word. Isn't that an encouragement? Now, I wonder uh, if we can be a church who actively encourage one another to cross over the pain line and to ask those pain line questions to people. Can I give you a challenge of a pain line question? Okay, here's my challenge. Can you find someone to say, do you want to sit and read the Bible with me? Do you want to sit down with me, grab a coffee, and open the Bible with me? Now, that might be uh, really hard, but I've got 10 copies of this book called Uncover. It's sealed up, and you and a friend um, could open up this, and it's got some really helpful questions. Uh, the text is already in there. Um, so, so you and a friend could sit down and look through Luke's gospel together and uncover what the Bible teaches about Jesus. Now, we're all called to be Bible sharers. We're not all called to be Bible teachers, so let's let the Bible teach people. Um, as we discover together what Jesus has done. Three things. Be prepared. Be yourself. And pray for God's help that St. Jude's might be bold enough to be a church who crossed the pain line. Let's pray. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and with respect. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help each one of us to put you at number one in our lives. Help us to think through our story that we might be clear that we can tell others about who you are and what you've done for us. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.